this morning I am very excited to introduce the Wilson family. I think Jophie might be running around with the kids, getting them in class and stuff. Is that the case, John? Okay, so John, come on up. John um, used to go to our church when we were at the other building, and he used to lead a small group on spiritual disciplines. Do you remember that? And I remember them telling me, this guy's weird. He makes us be quiet for the first 15 minutes of community group. Do you remember that? They just suffered through that. My goodness gracious. And now we're catching up, right? That was You were a visionary a long time ago, back then. Anyway, John um, met Jofi, and you could tell more about that story. I'm not going to take anything from you, mind. Okay. So Jofi is a beautiful Hungarian gal, and so they, he, he saw her and knew that he could not live without her. And, and they have populated the earth with four children. Crying. Yes. They, um, it's, it's an attempt to uh, populate the earth. Anyway, it's a, a beautiful kids. You get the chance to meet them. I think they're ages uh, 864. 864. 8642. 2468. Two. Good planning. That's really good. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think it's public. <laughs> anyway, he is a delightful gentlemen and um, you're going to enjoy what he has to say his heart for Jesus and the lost um, is big and I hope that you catch it this morning and Jophie are you going to get a chance to speak at all this morning besides praying okay you're stand up because I want everybody to see you there she is isn't she beautiful can you see why he ended up in Hungary yeah all righty thank you thank you I've got a mic oh so good morning. It's, it's great to be back. Um, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of new faces. And looking forward to meeting all of you. It is somewhat dangerous because I get to speak in English um, since most of the time I'm speaking in Hungarian. But uh, we'll see how that goes. I um, Really today, this morning, just in 20 minutes or so, wanted to share with you what God is doing in Hungary through you, through your partnership with us, and um, kind of give you an update on what's happened in the last three years. So as Clara mentioned, here's a new picture of our family. One thing that's happened over the past three years since the last time we were here is that little guy in the middle, Agostan, he was born. So maybe I'll just run through our family. So I'll tell you everyone's name in Hungarian and in English, so you'll be completely confused. And then kind of what we, their nicknames. So I'm obviously John. That's the easy one for most of you, spelled normally. My wife, Jofi, is spelled uh, creatively, beautifully. It's the Hungarian version of Sophie, right? So if you get confused and just want to talk to her, it's better to say Sophie uh, than to be afraid to say her name. So feel free to <laughs> call her Sophie. Um, and then Esti, who's kind of in the top middle. So her name in Hungarian is Esther. Esther Anna Wilson. Like Esther. We tried to pick a name that worked in both languages. She's our eight-year-old. We call her Esti. And then uh, the girl on the right in my lap is Elizabeth. So it's like Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Elizabeth Johanna Wilson. So we're trying to pick names that work in both languages, right? Esther, Esther, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Then she's our six-year-old. The four-year-old, Jonathan, on the left, the kind of surfer. That's what someone called him, the surfer. (laughs) Surfer guy with the blonde hair and uh, blue eyes, yeah. So Jonathan, like Jonathan, we call him Yanni, which I forgot used to be a musician. Well, it's kind of long hair. I don't know. I never listened to his music, but um, so we call him Yanni, and then then Agostan. We essentially just kind of gave up trying to find a name that worked in both <laughs> languages. So yeah, it's it's Augustine, which is a very rare name in English. Um, ironically, Jonathan is a very rare name in Hungarian, and very common in English. But but Agostan is a it's a very nice, it's a beautiful name in Hungarian, and we really loved it. So, yeah, Agostin Josiah Wilson. So that's our, our family. As Clara said, we have, we're trying to do 
our part in I'm addressing one of the biggest problems in Hungary, and that is the lack of children. It's one of the biggest problems in Europe. And so we're trying to be fruitful and multiply, and that's, that's our, our social ministry, if you, if you will, addressing one of the most pressing concerns in Hungarian society. Um, some other things that changed, I, I talk funny now, I guess. People have commented that I have kind of an accent and I say things weird. That's surely true. Um, sorry. Uh, I dress a little funnier now. I think today I'm halfway normal, but a couple weeks ago I was caught wearing socks and flip-flops, um, something I used to make fun of other people doing. <laughs> but my feet were cold, and all I had was flip-flops, and I did it. Um, God's gracious. Um, yeah, I guess a lot has changed in, in three years. But instead of the, the funny stuff, I wanted to get to you. Uh, kind of just two things. If I could condense uh, everything that we do into two pillars, um, one of those would be helping people encounter Jesus. Evangelism. Helping them um, meet Jesus and enter a relationship with him. So I'll talk about Alpha a little bit. And then after that, talk about um, the second thing that we're passionate about, and that's helping people be more intentional in their pursuit of God. So spiritual formation, which I, I think most of you have heard some about. So, so those are the two things. Those will be the two kind of pillars that will hang uh, what, I, what I share. The first thing is Alpha. How many of you get our email updates? Wow. So sizable number of you. If you don't and... Um, and after this talk or after meeting us today, you want to, uh, we, there's a sign-up sheet in the back where you can put your name and an email address, and we'd be happy to, to keep you informed of kind of the, just the amazing things God's doing in Hungary. Um, you can do that. But if you read our, our email updates, we spend a lot of time talking about Alpha. And the reason uh, we spend a lot of time talking about Alpha is because we invest a lot of time uh, with Alpha and Hungary. It's something that we have grown to love, and it's a great resource. It's a great tool uh, in in Europe. So, you know, some of the things that we've done with Alpha are um, publishing new resources. So taking stuff that's in English and, and translating and publishing in Hungarian. Things like, I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's a new Youth Alpha film series, right? It's a, it's a fantastic new resource. It's for young people who... Um, you know, kind of the younger generation, they don't always enjoy listening to someone stand and talk to them for 40 minutes at a time. They would rather play video games. And so they created these really short, engaging uh, video series, short short film series that these two Canadian guys, they're crazy, kind of quirky Canadian humor, uh, travel around the world, same content. Who's Jesus? Why did Jesus die? How can I have faith? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in a, in a format that the young people just really enjoy. Like, they love coming to this Youth Alpha film series. So we've you know, published that in Hungarian. Or um, helping churches minister to families. So one thing that we've, we've loved, um, we've done intimate life material. I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've done that here since we got it from you all. <laughs> so we've done that. We love the marriage course. That's put on by Alpha, and so we translated uh, the marriage course. It's a, made a DVD so people can just put it in, and churches can run it. Um, ways to help churches be more engaged in evangelism, be more engaged in ministering to families, et cetera, et cetera. We've done websites, we've done training, we've done leadership development, we've done fundraising. So there's a that's why in our newsletters there's a lot of discussion about Alpha. Why is there so much investment in Alpha? You might ask. Well, in 2008, I flew over to London from Budapest for Alpha's Europe, Middle East, and Africa conference. The three regions of the world, that's kind of our, our region, EMEA. And there were 1,200 delegates from these three regions, Europe, Middle East, Africa. And I was blown away as I, as I sat in this uh, huge church in South Kensington, this beautiful old 
uh, church and hearing testimony after testimony of how people had come to faith through Alpha and how it had transformed their lives. And I was hearing testimonies from the countries where we have colleagues, where I know missionaries that have given decades um, ministering, and then to, to see, wow, God is really doing something powerful. And, um, well, I, I shared a, an example last night with this guy, Victor. So three years ago, there's a Hungarian guy who had just gone through a divorce, had lost his job, was in deep depression. And um, kind of to make matters worse, one night he was at a stoplight. And in Europe, people drive uh, stick shifts. Is that what you call it? They don't have automatic cars, unless you have a Mercedes. But um, his foot slipped off the clutch, his car lurched forward, and there was an elderly nun who was walking across the crosswalk. His car lurched forward and uh, bumped into her, destroyed her knee. So the amazing thing is this guy, Victor, went to the hospital a couple of days later to apologize. Turns out she's one of the most famous nuns in Hungary. She has written all these books about the Hungarian saints or, or whatever, very well-respected woman. And he's there in the hotel room, or the hotel room, the hospital room. And we stayed in some hotel rooms recently. But they were, he was there in the hospital room. And this, this elderly woman, this nun, said, you know, Victor, um, I was supposed to go to Austria to, to lead this conference, but um, you know, this is what God has. And look, what, what's happened happened. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, I forgive you. And she gave him an orange and, and sent him on his way. Well, Victor, he didn't know what to, to make of it all. Um, that was three years ago. It took him about a year. He started wondering, what, what was that? Why did this woman act so differently from the way every other Hungarian in his mind would have responded? And it caused him to start uh, seeking out God. He knew she was a nun. He knew there was some kind of relationship with God. He found his way to an alpha course, and he came to faith. Transformed his life. That was two years ago. And now, just a couple months ago, he started working in the National Alpha Office, kind of the, the director of development. And potentially, he's going to be the national director of Alpha in some time. Just amazing what God has done in so many people's lives through Alpha. So that's one of the reasons... I love Alpha. I came home from that conference in 2008 that I shared about before. And I wrote in my prayer journal, after hearing all these stories, you know, God, I could imagine giving part of my life to, to see Alpha more effective in Hungary. I would love to see that happen. It wasn't really a concrete plan. It was just a kind of throwaway line in my, uh, in my journal. And... But ironically, or maybe not ironically, uh, four years later, so in 2012, Alpha International asked me to serve as the, the assistant national director in Hungary. The, the national director was a business guy. He had become a Christian through Alpha five years before, or now six years ago. And, uh, but he worked full-time. So he had one day a week to give to Alpha. And you can't really run an organization with one day a week. So they asked if I would be willing to give three days a week. And together, my three days, his one day, we kind of, it would add up to a whole week. And so I went to uh, my boss, the United World Mission, and said, look, here's what they're, what they're asking. Um, it actually kind of coincides with a, a desire in my heart. What do you think? And they said, you know, John, pray about it. Um, but we, we see this as a really important strategic, strategic partnership here in Hungary and potentially in Europe. And so I prayed about it, and for the last several years, I've invested a pretty, pretty big chunk of my time um, trying to facilitate Alpha in, in Hungary. So that's why I write so much about Alpha, why uh, I love Alpha so much. But at the end of the day, I'm a pragmatist. I... I judge a tree by its fruit, you know. And 
And I see tremendous fruit from Alpha. It's in 170 countries. 27 million people have come to or have been on Alpha. A guy like Bear Grylls. Do you guys know Bear Grylls? He's going to be the, the face of Alpha, the promotion in 2016. Just amazing what God's doing. So, so that's Alpha. I went from helping run Alpha to running Alpha in our church to helping other people run Alpha now training uh, Christian leaders throughout Hungary to run Alpha and run the office. Okay, so that's a big part of, not everything we do with evangelism, but um, we that's one of the big reasons why we're in Hungary, to help people come to faith, help people encounter Jesus and enter a relationship with him. Okay, so second thing is spiritual formation, which I'm sure you... I've heard about. Um, it's an expression that used, is used by a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. It kind of means everything and nothing <laughs> at the same time. Um, how, how I mean it is helping people become more intentional about the pursuit of becoming more like Jesus, right, at its core. And so, you know, if you, if you remember, you know, before Jesus began his public ministry, he spent. He went out into the desert for 40 days, and he fasted, and he prayed. And it was in the desert in this time that he did battle with with Satan and various temptations in his life. And then later in his ministry, you see the same kind of rhythms, you know, him withdrawing for for prayer to connect with his father. And um, it's just interesting. Like after that kind of intense period of preparation, that's when he, he was after that, he went into his public ministry. And so our heart is to help the Christian leaders in Hungary to be more intentional in their pursuit of, of becoming more like Jesus. There's a lot of really gifted people, great hearts. Um, they just want to serve. And maybe you can identify this, but it's really easy for life to get out of balance at times. Right, between work and family, ministry, and then having time to, to connect with God on a regular basis and, and give him the time that he, that he really deserves. And so part of our, uh, our heart is to help, especially the Christian leaders, but not just Christian leaders, um, to develop rhythms like Jesus and to, to do battle with the brokenness and the sinfulness that's in each of our, each of our hearts. So to break that out some more, because I'm going to try and do two things, give kind of a sermon and an update on what we're doing, um, I thought I'd unpack the importance of spiritual formation a little bit more for you this morning. So I'll start with a dream that I had. Okay, have any of you played the game Dixit? Or how do you say it in English? Dixit? Dixit? Oh, it's not here. Oh, wow. Oh, you do know it. So it is here. Oh, a couple of you. Yeah, it's this, it's this bizarre game. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we, um, my basketball team is one of my primary, um, they're, they're people I really care about. I've invested a lot. Keep inviting them um, to faith, really, to all these different things. And they're slow and a little bit obstinate, but I'm, I'm <laughs> perseverant. <laughs> so we, anyway, they, we were all, they came over one night, and their, their spouses are there significant others, and because um, most people in Hungary aren't married. That's another story. So we're playing. They brought over this game, Dixit, and there are these cards, and there are these crazy pictures. I think it's bath salts had some part of the inspiration of this game. I mean, they're really kind of bizarre. And Anyway, I won't go into the details of this game, but I don't know if it's because of playing this game, Dixit, or something that I ate, <laughs> but that night I had this crazy dream, and... Um, and in my dream, I was in this huge building. There were thousands of people in this building. And a raging fire had broken out upstairs in the building. And a few of the people had got out of the building, but the vast majority of the people were just oblivious to the danger. They simply didn't know the building was on fire. And so I wanted to warn the people and so I stood in the, entry ro- in, in the entryways, 
And I was just shouting as loud as I could, shouting the alarm. I was afraid that the building was going to collapse soon. And some people heard the call and they came out. But I was shocked that a lot of people just decided to stay in the building. They were busy doing their own thing, and they didn't want to be bothered with this fire or some random guy shouting. Well, the interesting thing is that I woke up, and I pondered the dream for a a longer time. But then when I went back to, to sleep, the dream continued, which is rare. I mean, there's a lot of times I have a dream, I'm like, okay, I want to go back to sleep and kind of continue this. I got a new car or a new computer or something, <laughs> and I want to use it before I really wake up. But anyway, this time it actually worked. I went back to sleep, and so the um, the dream continued. But Or maybe it was didn't continue exactly because two things were different. One thing is that I decided to organize uh, designated areas for people who came out of the building, like warm blankets and shelters. Like they weren't prepared when they came out the first time. And the second thing that was different is that I had more courage to go deeper into the building. You see, the first time around, I was terrified that the building was going to fall. And so I just stood in the entryways. I wasn't willing to to venture deeper into the building. Um, But somehow the second time, I wasn't so concerned about losing my life in it. There are perhaps other deeper meanings to the dream. But I wanted to highlight one thing. And the one thing is, maybe this will um, be somewhat of a twist, but though I was part of the rescue plan to help people come out of the building, I was also a hindrance to it the first time around. My fear, my lack of courage, my desire to save my own life prevented me from warning the people in the greatest need, the people deepest inside the building. So keeping this dream in mind, that'll be kind of the the backdrop, I'd like to draw a parallel with Moses this morning, one of my favorite people in the Bible. Um, That's going to be the scripture we'll read in a second. But I want to put it in context, right? So I'm going to give you a brief summary of the entire Old Testament, which I'm fond of doing. Sorry, (laughs) this is my personality. I'm speaking in English, and I'm going to go for it. I'm just kidding. Partly. (laughs) Right? Genesis 1, God creates the world. Right? He brings beauty and order and goodness out of disorder, out of chaos, out of nothingness. Right? He created humanity. And one of the things I love is he tasked us. He gave us the assignment to take care of this creation, to maintain the beauty of and the order and the goodness of this universe, of this world that he had created. Our family tends to bring greater chaos and disorder <laughs> to things like the, the service this morning. But, but in general, our task is to, is to maintain the beauty and the order and the goodness of what God had created. Because he took it out of, of chaos, out of nothingness, out of disorder, created order, beauty, goodness. Well... There's this symbolism of the constant work of maintaining a garden, right? Do any of you like to garden? I guess in San Antonio it's kind of more difficult, right? You have rock gardens, so you can, <laughs> right? Or I was just in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago. and Or in L.A., they're actually paying people to tear up their gardens and put in rocks. and That's fun. But I don't know how we'd work that metaphor out here, but whatever. In the, in the Garden of Eden, I assume there were some plants and it wasn't just rocks, but there's this, this idea of this constant work, constant effort. So being a ruler over creation is to bring greater truth and goodness and justice in the world, to maintain that. That's, that's part of their, of their assignment, of our assignment. Preventing creation from following the path of entropy. Right? But we weren't content with being kings and queens. We wanted to be gods. And our rebellion brought death, disorder, and suffering into the world. So there's still beauty and goodness and order, but it's all been distorted. 
It's all been perverted. It's all become bent. And God was grieved. But he still loves his creation. He still loves us, right? It's the Old Testament. And he promised to redeem and to restore what had been lost, to defeat evil. He chose Abraham. He promised that through Abraham he would establish a people who would be called by his name, a city upon a hill, a light to a fallen world, a people who would submit to his will and would live according to his rule, that they would be a stark contrast to Adam and Eve and later the pagan peoples around them. They would be the sign and a symbol of a different way of life. What it would be like for God to be in the center of our garden, the center of our lives. God would be their king and he would give them a land to dwell in. And through their example, all the other nations, all the other nations, including thousands of years later, America, that they would come to know God. The Israel would be a blessing to all the nations, a light to a fallen world. But along the way, there was a number of detours, right? That's the Old Testament. And to make a long story short, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And out of jealousy, um, they just kind of got rid of him. Ultimately, all of Abraham's descendants end up in Egypt. And eventually, they become slaves, right? Kind of the metaphor of sin. But they are literally slaves, in Egypt. But God never forgot his promise. Right? 400 years later, 400 years of slavery, God finally chooses Moses to rescue the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. So against all the odds, and with numerous miracles, the Israelites were finally free. But they were scared. They're in the desert. They didn't have any food. They didn't have any water. There's hostile armies all around. And afraid of the future, they actually wanted to go back to the life that they were used to. One of my kind of favorite verses, because it's so crazy, you know, they're like, are there not, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to kill us? They just, they wanted what they knew, even if it was worse. And so maybe worshiping this Egyptian bull deity, Apis, would bring rain. Right? That's what they thought. So they fashioned a golden calf. Instead of turning to God out of fear, they turned to the Egyptian deities that they knew. Well, instead of bringing safety and security, God sends them into the desert for 40 years to die. Only the next generation would enter the promised land. So sadly, at one point, Moses himself disobeys God. And as a result, Moses can't enter the promised land either. So here we are at the end of the 40 years. And actually, let's, how about we stand as we read the, it's just two verses. And let's read it together. So Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun. Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the Israelites. Okay. Have a seat, please. How much time do I have? Like five minutes? Ten? Four real quick observations. One, my servant Moses is dead. That's kind of a jarring verse when I when I read it. You know, it's because of Moses that Israel could inherit the promised land. Right? He was the one that God chose to deliver the people from Egypt. But because of his um, background could go into a lot of it, but he ended up killing the Egyptian guy, going into the desert for 40 years. 40 years of exile, a lot of soul-searching, repentance, spiritual formation, if you will. Um, eventually, gets to the point where he's able to discern the voice of God through the burning bush. And most importantly, he chooses to obey. 
despite, if you remember these, you know, his kind of dialogue with God, despite all of his objections and hesitations and, and all that, he chooses obedience, faith. Because of that, he's given spiritual authority. And through that, he's able to accomplish uh, just powerful miracles to deliver the Israelites. But the second observation, that's because of Moses that they can, the Israelites can inherit the promised land. It's also because of Moses that the next generation of Israelites couldn't enter the promised land. Right? Until he died. Moses had to die first. So Moses was a necessary part of God's plan, but he wasn't sufficient. Because of his disobedience, his sinfulness, he becomes an obstacle to God fulfilling it. The same is true of David, as well as Israel, and sadly, even us, the New Testament church. David, the most important king, defeated the Philistines. He expanded the territory. But he couldn't build the temple because he had blood on his hands. God chose Israel as a vehicle of his redemption. We talked about it a little bit earlier. But Israel's ethnocentrism, their disdain for the pagan Gentiles, they became a hindrance to God's rescuing them. The same with the New Testament church. We're an instrument of God's redemption in the world but we can also be a hindrance to it. Third, which is basically the logical conclusion of those two, the success, and in Jophie, in my case, success in ministry, if you will, whatever that means. But, but success is intrinsically connected to obedience. In fact, full obedience, not just partial obedience. A few verses later, God continues, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to act in accordance with all the law, for then you shall make your way, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall be successful. I'm struck by the fact that fruitfulness is not proportional to ability and giftedness. Fruitfulness is not proportional to ability and giftedness. It's directly proportional to obedience. So what does that mean for, for us, for me? Kind of preaching to myself here. But later in chapter 3 of Joshua, when Israel actually begins to cross the Jordan into the promised land, Joshua says, sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I don't know about you, but I often don't like to think about the implications of some of the verses. It's easier just to kind of skip on to the next verse, the next chapter. But but doesn't this go against grace? Isn't this kind of Old Testament workspace salvation, not New Testament grace. Sanctify yourselves, and then the Lord will do wonders among you. Um, for those of you that know me from way back, you'll probably know that one thing that I really hate is reductionism. When we reduce things so it's oversimplified and distorted. And, um, and we sometimes do that to the gospel. Right? What is the gospel? That Jesus came and died for our sins so that we can be saved? No. That's not, I mean, it's part of the gospel, clearly. But it's not the gospel. It's partly true, but it's too reductionistic. Because if Jesus' death for our sins is the good news of salvation, then we should be celebrating Good Friday each year, not Easter Sunday. Right? Jesus' death appropriately brings sorrow to our hearts. It was a victory for Satan. It was him killing what he thought was God's plan to save the world, the king, the rightful king of this world. 
But it's Jesus' resurrection, that's what brings hope. Jesus defeated the grave. He defeated death, destruction, the dominion of Satan and demons in this world. God made good on his promise to redeem us and the rest of creation. And he's in the process of setting this upside-down world right side up. Our lives are being transformed. We're a new creation. This world is being transformed. Even our physical bodies will one day be transformed. That's the good news. That's, that's the gospel. So therefore, Jesus' death is part of the good news, but it's not the whole of it, or even the essence of it. It's a reductionistic view of it. Or take heaven. I'm being a little provocative today, I'm sorry. But are we going to be worshiping Jesus all day, every day, for eternity? Is that heaven? Yes and no. That's a pretty reductionist view of, of heaven. Do you know what we're actually going to be doing? Working. Jovi hates it when I talk about this, but... It's really kind of true. You know, I, I love hearing people talk about retirement and how they've worked hard enough in this life and they're just ready for a break and just to move to Florida and it's, it's their time to relax. I don't want to judge. Maybe I'll be there one day <laughs> saying the same things. But as I mentioned a few minutes ago, God had a purpose when he created humanity. Beyond having people who love him and who he can love. Right? I mean, that's part of why God created humanity. But we were tasked with maintaining the beauty and the order and the goodness of creation so that it doesn't fall back into chaos. And that was before the fall. That was part of God's original intention for us as people. Work was something God gave us to do before the fall. It wasn't a consequence of the fall. Now, the fruitlessness of our labor and the toil and the difficulty of it, that is a consequence of the fall. But the task itself wasn't. In the new heavens and the new earth, we'll be working for the rest of eternity. But it's going to be fulfilling and it's going to be fruitful. So, like the gospel, worshiping Jesus for eternity is kind of a reductionist view of heaven. Although that work is a form of worship. So I guess it's not. But back to Joshua 3. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I'm kind of out of time, and I've got five more pages of stuff I wanted to say. But I'll just skip to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5:48. Very similar. Following the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or in Philippians 1.27, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Sometimes it feels like in the church we've lost a sense of our collective call to holiness, of being made in Jesus' image. It really doesn't have anything to do with works-based salvation. I mean, I'm not... It's not saying sanctify yourselves so that you can be saved, right? One of the common misunderstandings of the Old Testament was that God gave the law so that Israel could be saved. But that's backwards, right? Like God saved Israel from Egypt and then gave them the law, right? What he's saying isn't sanctify yourselves so you can be saved. He's saying sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you beautiful. It's powerful. I was going to deconstruct this idea that every Christian is a missionary. won't do that. It's another reductionism. Um, it's true. Like, we should all share our faith with our colleagues or friends at school. But giving someone who has a headache an aspirin doesn't make you a doctor. Right? It just means you have a friend who has a headache and you have an aspirin. It's part of being a friend. part of sharing our faith. Um, but, and there's tons of tools that we, that God's given us to share our faith, 
to engage others, like Alpha or um, what do you what do you all do here? What are the kind of ways that you try and reach out to the community? I know you do. Life skills at work. All right, there's pray for others. The, I don't know if you're. Are they? Were, anyway, I mean, there's there's tons of things that that you can do, but really, it's the, it's not the tools that matter. They're great, but at the end of the day, it's your heart. Because without love, we're a clanging symbol. It's worthless. Like, Alpha's great. I love Alpha. But if there's no love behind it, it's senseless. It's a, it's a waste of time. And the problem is, and this is what I wanted to get to, the real love, kind of tying this whole, all these disparate thoughts together, real love is selfless love. And the only way to have selfless love is to die to yourself, to put others' needs and desires ahead of yours. In a word, it's the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. So that leaves the question, well, how can we more fully engage the process of sanctification? Well, it's a long, hard work of discipleship and spiritual formation. It's a paradox because it's God who sanctifies us, but it's somehow the intersection of our our will and God's grace. The challenge is there's no shortcut. There's no 10-step kind of formula, 30-day master plan to do it. It's a lifelong process of dying to our own desires. Anyway, there's a lot more I could say. But that, I hope it gives you a, a glimpse of kind of the thoughtfulness, why, why we invest so much in, in spiritual formation. Because God's called each of us to be part of his plan of redemption, like Moses. But the problem is that each of us are also a hindrance to it. And God keeps inviting us to sanctify ourselves and tomorrow so that tomorrow he can do wonders through us. And the amazing thing is if you choose that, that path, it'll actually bring you much closer to God. You know, in the past maybe four years where I've been much more intentional in my own life, my own heart, I've realized that the more I engage my own sinfulness, the more deeply I experience his grace and his work in my life, not less of it. I feel him more closely to me. I feel him more present. The thing that I longed for for all these years, God's God's intimacy is growing in me. And strangely, it's growing in me because of being much more intentional about doing battle with what's really in my heart, the stuff that I don't like to look at. And I see progress. Pretty slow in my case, but um, tremendously encouraging for me. And as he transforms us from the inside out, it opens up the possibility that he'll do wonders among us, not to mention our church here. So, conclusion, our world is a mess. It's like a building on fire. People are clueless to the danger they're in. And the question that stands before us is, how are we going to respond? Are we going to do what I did in the first part of my dream, kind of stand in the doorways? And we get out, we're so worried about our own lives that we don't dare go into the flames? Or are we willing to let go of our own desires and hopes for our own lives? Might lose it. To be part of God's plan to rescue the rest of the people inside. My servant Moses is dead. He, like us, had an important role to play. But because of our sin and self-focus, we're also an obstacle. We'll never be completely perfect. But let's sanctify ourselves so that God can do wonders among us.
and the lives of the people that we care about, in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces. And maybe, just maybe, after a lifetime of the difficult path of spiritual formation, of dying to our sin, dying to our desires, dying to our own will, God will let us climb onto the mountain and catch a glimpse of the kingdom that he's establishing around us and through us. That's my heart for you this morning. So those are the two things that were, I guess in English we do like this, it's Hungarian. The two things we're passionate about, right? Yeah. I feel weird doing that. So I'll just do it Hungarian. Evangelism, helping people encounter Jesus, enter a relationship with him, be transformed. And second, helping people become more intentional in the pursuit of God. If you'd like to hear more about either of these or some of the stuff that I didn't have uh, time to share about, I would would love to talk to you afterwards. In the back, um, I I thought maybe, is there going to be some music or it's going to... Jeff, if you'd want to come up maybe. and I don't know if there's a prayer ministry team. Do you have kind of a, a team that's on? Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll just say a short prayer and then invite if anyone, if you feel like God's stirring in your heart um, in some way and you'd like uh, one of us or um, depending on how many people, then maybe the prayer ministry team can, can come up if it's needed. Uh, we'd love to to pray with you, pray for you. Um, we'll just see how how God moves. But um, before we do that, I just wanted to say thank you. You are a huge part of our of our lives. We we couldn't be in Hungary without you. It's, in many ways, it's like coming home, being being back with you, and um, yeah, just really appreciate you. So let's pray, and then we'll invite everyone. Did you want to say something? Go ahead. Um, I wanted to add a couple things before we pray. Um, I wanted to say I'm really proud of you. I'm really happy to be here and have this even space to be here and not be with the kids and listen. Um, You did a really good job, and I wanted to correct one thing about (laughs) hating the work that... You know, like God gives us the assignment that we will work in heaven. I love that idea because I think that well, work will do. be beautiful. <laughs> Hi, Tina. But John's definition of work is sometimes, I think, not there yet. Huh? God <laughs> defines work. So we, are, we have conversations about that, how work is defined. That's um, true. So, uh, but uh, I also just wanted to say I'm so happy to be here and be with you all and I feel at home, too. And so that's, that's a gift from God. And I have an idea, um, even what we, what we can do now. Uh, one of these, um, John has been, has been talking about spiritual formation, and that whole organization, United World Mission, has been together on a path, doing together spiritual formation. Because maybe you look at missionaries and you think, oh, wow, they are the super spiritual people. And we've been with missionaries for quite a while, and we found that, you know, a lot of the missionaries struggle with um, their intimacy with God. And so they are there to serve and to give, and then they don't have anything else to give. So, um, and maybe you experience that in your life, too. I think we are really similar in many ways. Maybe wherever different ways we live or work or the ministry. Anyway, so we have this process in our Organization and one of the we we go through different books and I I know some of you have done conversation and invitation and then come a couple more stuff but one of the books is called Invitations and I always love the title because I feel like that describes God so much that He invites us to to different things He doesn't force us. I think most of the time, I think it's very rare where he really forces us into some situations, but many times he invites. And so that's what I feel like God probably 
said something to you during this morning, and he invites you to something. And so I think maybe we can just take a couple minutes and just be quiet and listen in your heart. What is God inviting you to? What spoke to your heart, maybe from what John shared or something else that he stirred in your heart? So let's take a couple minutes and pray about what are you inviting me to now, God? What do you want me to respond to you? And then if you want to, we can... Uh, you know, be up here with some other people and you can come forward and make that invitation. Um, just pray about it with someone and, and say it out loud and maybe plan some steps how you want to to step into that invitation, what he invites you to. So that's what I had on my heart. Um, okay, so I'll pray and then take a couple minutes and you can reflect on that. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Thank you for your presence in our lives and in our midst. We just invite you to come. Father, we thank you for your plan for this world that you created and your faithfulness to it, to us. We thank you that you're always inviting, that you're always redeeming, that you're always transforming. And maybe you just remember something that you promised to God a while ago. And maybe you just want to enter back into that again. Or maybe he has something else he's inviting you to. Just take time to ask from him what he's inviting you to this morning. Amen. So anyone would like to pray with someone, we invite you to, to come up. We'll just stand on here.